I'm with Benoit Menon. Benoit is the CEO and the co-founder of Pliz. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good, and you? I am super. You know, I left my apartment this morning to like pure joy. And the reason why is because I think the weather in Bangkok, just in December and January and February, is just amazing. And that, I don't know, that feeling of it's not like burning hot outside. Yeah, <laughs> some I mean, point makes the... me happy best period in the in the year for sure i went for christmas in france and actually was disappointed to not enjoy the best period of the year in, in bangkok yeah so here's my thing right with unlimited resources and i'll ask you this question later but like for me with unlimited resources here's my living pattern i want to live in thailand from the middle of november until the end of march okay right no no i'm serious and then from april until i would say like the middle to the end of july i want to live like in as in the south of France because it only rains seven days a year there and it's right on the Mediterranean and it's insanely beautiful and the food's awesome right. and all the other things. And then the rest of the year I want to live in Okinawa. Yeah, I think that's a good pattern. <laughs> that's, my, that's my goal. <laughs> it's been that way for yeah, a while. Yeah, 25 degrees across the year, that's just perfect. Right? Right. I would go to San Diego, but that's in the United States. I'll leave that for the people that are already there. Anyway, um, how are you? I'm great. Awesome. Same. Awesome. Exciting day. Yeah, it's super. It's great to have you. Why don't you tell me, give me a little bit of background on you, go back as far as you want, and then I want to figure out like how you got to Asia, Southeast Asia, and then to Bangkok in particular. Sure. Uh, actually, the first time I came in Asia was in 2002. I went to Hong Kong for an internship uh, during my uh, business school studies, and I stayed there for a couple of months, and that was uh, during the SARS epidemic. Oh, I was there. Uh, yeah, that was kind of weird. Well, when you're inside, it's like weird, but not panicking because nothing is really happening. But right. from the outside, then you have all your family panicking and, wow, what's happening? Just please come back. So, but, but what does that teach you? This is because I was there as well, right? And I've been in those kinds of disasters where the media, the global media, just blows it up into some incredible thing that it really isn't. And then when you're there, you're just thinking, why is everybody panicking outside of here, the people that aren't here? So what does that teach you, though? Well, I think to really take a higher side on things and really judge by yourself, because here you hear a lot of things that are completely different from what you really live when you're inside. So, right. um, And the fun aspect of it is that so I came back to France and some of my friends didn't want to see me. <laughs> they were scared. Because <laughs> they didn't want to die, right? <laughs> right. So it was like, okay, I came back, but eventually people don't want to meet me. Um, and, and actually, that's where I was in touch with uh, one of my best friends. We were doing our studies together in, in, in France, and he was already in Thailand for an internship as well. Uh, and we had a chat. I said, yeah, come in. There, there's a vacant intern here. If you want, it's for you. So I just jumped in a flight and said, okay, let's try it. It must be an exciting experience as well. But it also teaches me one other thing, not to be too philosophical, right, on a Thursday morning, but we just have all these sort of biases about people from different places and, you know, different diseases from different countries and all this stuff. And the reality is that it all seems to be sort of media created, because right? there are plenty of other people that go to France that come from Hong Kong that aren't you, that don't have friends there, that people don't want to talk to. Do you know what I mean? It's just strange for me. Sure. I, anyway, I'm presuming your friend that was already here, was that Jerome? Correct. Awesome. Yes, that's what, that was him. So we were flatmate actually back wow. uh, 15 years uh, when we were studying together in, in, in France. Okay. 
so I joined him here and uh, spent seven months in Thailand. I loved it. New culture, completely different world. And of course, as a student in, in Bangkok, it's quite an exciting life. And yeah. going over the weekend to the beach. I mean, that's <laughs> quite exciting internship. Uh, and that's when I met my future wife as well. So, uh, wow. yeah, that was a very exciting period. And the return back to France to finish the studies was a bit hard. Uh, I spent another one and a half year to really? gra to graduate. Um, and with only one thought in mind, to go back to Asia, especially Thailand, of course. Uh, and that's what happened in 2005, where I basically started my career in Thailand. So what is it about the school? Because Jerome's kind of mentioned this to me as well. The school not forces you, but encourages you strongly to go and do an internship. And I guess the interesting question for me is, before you did that, had you traveled a lot, even just in the rest of Europe or in the United States, or was that sort of your first foray outside of the country on an extended period? I traveled a lot in Europe before, uh, but I never went that far in America or Asia. Uh, I, I didn't travel that far, so that was really my first big immersion in a, in a new culture. Pretty amazing, right? I presume you speak Thai now if your wife is from Thailand, right? Yes, we're completely differently, yeah. But it adds, it adds a different dimension, right? So you may know this, but I lived in Japan for 20-something years, right? And there was sort of, there was a bifurcated population of expats there, one of whom never learned the local language, so couldn't really appreciate the local culture, and the other, like I am, who just studied Japanese and then really figured out how to assimilate into local culture. And again, it gave me that impression, and I'm curious about your opinion on this. You know, when there was news about Japan and Japanese culture, it always seemed really foreign to me because what was getting reported always seemed wrong. And I presume you see that in Thailand as well sometimes, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you start getting really immersed in a culture without speaking the language, then you're in the fun of discovering new things and everything is nice and beautiful. But right. after a certain point in time, you realize that you are not able to break all the codes and really understand in depth the, right. the, the culture. Uh, and definitely learning the language is the key to not break those codes, but really get into understanding what's happening. And and I, you're absolutely right. When you hear a lot of things about, especially Thailand, a lot of things have been happening over the past few years. Right, right, right. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, description about the culture, way of thinking of people. And definitely sometimes there are things that, no, that's not right. You just don't understand it. Not right. because uh, you have a, a short view on things, but it's just that it goes farther than and then there's it's a little bit more complicated and and Thai culture is in surface looks like everything is easy and, and people are all the same but it, it's very complex culture completely right i mean there's this whole concept right from the outside it's just sabai sabai nice and easy same, right. Same, right but it's true though right but i think in every culture the digger you deep the more nuanced it gets and the more complex it gets right and you know just like france just like other parts of europe depending on where you are in the country, which is the same thing for the whole region, you get completely different mindsets, depth of culture, you know, language usage. All these things are very different, but you don't know that if you're on the outside. And I like to kind of make the analogy to food, right? Like you cannot have an opinion on Italian food unless you've eaten it. Right. <laughs> True. Right. Anyway, so what was your, let's back up a little bit. What was your internship when you were here, if you can tell me? 
so it was just about corporate finance. So uh, we we did um, a business school and specializing in finance, both Jerome and I, actually. We have exactly the same background. So that was the, yeah, about finance, uh, financial control. So we did that for six months here. Um, and then my first job was also in the same field. What was it like, though, being like a student and then coming to an internship? Was it a French company in Thailand or was it a pure Thai company in Thailand or just completely just an MNC that was here? No, it was a French company, tour operator, so a small SME. Okay. Uh, not a big organization, very entrepreneurial. Um, we were working actually in that specific field with Thai people because, of course, accountants are usually have to be Thai in Thailand, right? So yeah. Uh, we were actually really completely immersed in uh, in the Thai culture from a day-to-day basis, although the company was French and management was French, but we, we had both aspects of the um, – we, we could enjoy the, uh, the the full immersion with Thai people actually during the job. That was nice. Um, but of course, with all the fancy life of being a student, so it's not that stressful like <laughs> you're on a full-time job, right? Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was very exciting learning a lot from a professional perspective because that's the first time you really do something, uh, on your own. And at the same time, you, you're free to enjoy life, uh, after work. So that was great. And tell me again, what year was it? I just want to get a sort of technology perspective, 2002, three, uh, this was 2003. So in 2003, if you wanted to call your family back at home, how did you do that? Were you just Skype Uh, or... Yeah, phone and Skype. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious because it's changed a lot. Like the last, we're in 2018 now. It's 15 and that was, years ago, right? Yeah. There was no line, WhatsApp, or whatever. Nothing. There was no other way to do it. It was really just like the basics on Skype, which was pretty basic 15 years ago, and no Correct. other communication method. And I don't even think there were no smartphones really in 2003. iPhone didn't come out until 2007. So in your finance world, when you were working back then, computers, Excel, Windows, that kind of thing at work? Yes, yeah, complete Excel with slow computer. Uh, no, yeah, no, Wi-Fi was still there, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty basic. Yeah, interesting. And so you had, did you communicate with the company back in France as well, or was most of it really just very localized work here? No, no, it was very localized. Okay. So... After doing that, you go back to France, you finish your studies, a year and a half later, you come back. And what kind right. of company did you come back to? Did you come back with another French company? Did you get that job before you arrived? How did that work? Yeah, so it was a French company, uh, a group from the north of France uh, in the office supply industry. So I got the job actually in France first. I did a couple of months there and then was sent to their uh, subsidiary in Thailand. Um, so I spent two years there. I was the finance coordinator for the group in, in the subsidiary, and wow. there was absolutely no expats in that company. So I was alone, wow. only French, no, uh, no for, uh, French or whatever foreigner uh, in the company. So I had to learn Thai. I was no going to ask option. you, what was the other choice? You couldn't speak French to people, but was there English speaking in the office or not so much? Well, with management, yes, but right. with people Stuff. I was working on day-to-day basis because I was a lot into the data and, and I really need to talk with the accountants and ground people. And there the English was extremely basic, so it was just not possible. 
But you learn two things, really. I mean, a bunch of things, but two basic things about work. One is you learn to speak Thai, which is really great. And you learn it at work, which means now you can speak business Thai, which is really powerful. But right. the other thing you learn is Thai accounting. Every country has their own separate accounting style and standards and sort of basic ways of operating. And again, it's really hard to learn that unless you're immersed in it every day, no? Yeah, and, and unless you are really forced to do it, because right. sometimes you're immersed, but you, I mean, there are things you are not obliged to do. But here, sure. to do your job, you have no choice. You need to understand. You need to get into the nitty gritty and and get the sleeves up and, and and really do things. So for sure, as you said, the language, but also learning by doing what's happening there, uh, local standards, and yeah, and that's where it all started and really helped after because. As you said, that was also the business aspect of the language, the understanding of what ground people do, and not just from a high-level perspective, right. coming as an expat and overseeing things. No, it was also really, really doing things. How big was your staff at the time, or the people you were working with? Uh, it was a team of around 20 people, okay. but uh, I would say, yeah, 70% were not speaking English. But that's perfect, right? Because just so much to learn. I'm really curious from a cultural perspective, right? Because that's really your first job outside of university, right? That's yeah, your first full-time job. Because the other one was an internship, which is a great experience, but a little bit less sort of feeling of responsibility, at least for me. I've sure. done internships as well. But now you're there. You're outside your home country. You're outside your own home language. Like, what is the feeling you have every day when you go uh, to work? Like, what is that like? Honestly, it was, at the beginning, it was really hard. Because even if I could already speak a little bit of Thai, I didn't have that real understanding of how people think, why they laugh on this, why they don't appreciate this type of situation, or right. you know the, the, what, what makes really daily life and understanding what people like and don't like. And breaking those codes at the beginning was really the most difficult thing. Um, but it was so exciting to really learn new things every day because right. every situation was basically a learning curve. Uh, every situation was something new for me. So uh, I was fantastic experience, very intense, I would say. It, it was not tiring, I would not say it that way, but it was really, really intense. Yeah, and did you take anything? You said originally that your internship business, the tour operator, was very entrepreneurial. Was there anything that you could take from that entrepreneurial experience now into this new company when you had a full-time job that was applicable to doing your job well? Uh, not from a, I would say, company perspective because I was working in a very structured organization, but the entrepreneurship in that sense that I had to do everything by my own. I right. had to really figure out exactly. what to do and how. So from that perspective, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot to take. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like to say it's so weird, right? I sat in a franchise business, whether it was at Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs or wherever, but I sat in a franchise business for 20-something years. And it's no different than sitting in McDonald's, to be fair. Right? You come in, there's a process, a methodology, you can tweak it, you can make it better, but you can't really destroy it. Right. And you can't, though. And you think it's really an interesting concept, right? When you're inside that, and I bet people at Mickey D's think the same thing. It's like, I am the best, whatever, hamburger maker, drink pour, whatever, that there is. And if I leave, this whole thing's going to fall apart. The reality is that the franchise is really strong. But one of the things that it doesn't teach you necessarily is how to create something out of nothing. Right. And true. I think that's the true entrepreneurial spirit is there's nothing there. Something should be there. 
and how do I do that? But you did the same thing in this role, right? Because you don't speak the language enough yet. You don't understand the culture enough yet. And while there are processes in place, like you don't even understand those yet either. And to create that knowledge out of nothing is awesome, no? Yeah, you still need to link the dots and yeah. you have to figure out how. <laughs> <laughs> right. So how long did you do that? Like, So that was what year you said? 2000? That was a while ago too, right? So that was January 2005. Okay, so not so much longer afterwards, January 2005. So how long did you do that? Like, what's the now your professional progression after that? Because I want to lead up to Pliz, sure. why that happened and the development of that and how that's going and stuff like that. But I really want to go through the progression first. So that was for uh, two years. Okay. And after those two years, I joined a German company selling uh, medical equipment as a um, uh, regional finance person. Uh, I was taking care at that time of Thailand. Uh, China, New Zealand, and Australia. So from a financial controlling perspective, so I had a small team of uh, four people. So for me, that was a big jump going from kind of coordination job uh, in the day-to-day -day reality of the job to a more strategic role, managing people for the first time of my life and wow. having a also a geographical scope to cover. So that was very exciting experience. Did you travel uh, a lot back then? Yeah, I was traveling very often to China uh, and here and then to uh, to Australia and New Zealand, which was also the first time I was reaching out to that part of the world. So it was very exciting from a personal uh, mm -hmm. travel perspective, I would say. Yeah, and, that part of work I always found amazing. Just the travel, just going to different places, different food, different people, different cultures. Right. I thought it was fabulous, right? And that's one of the benefits of being here, right? Yeah, it's great. It's very easy to travel and you very often have the opportunity, at least I had very often the opportunity through my uh, different role to travel in many different places. So that was, yeah, very exciting thing. And in, in that job from a financial perspective, it was actually very exciting from, I would say, uh, not that positive angle is that the company had to close down. There were a lot of issues between shareholders and whatever, but from a learning perspective in my specific field, that was a fantastic learning curve. Uh, so I went through all those ups and downs and uh, was actually contacted by uh, the former MD of uh, managing director of the French company I started my career in, who contacted me and, and offered me a job uh, with a um, direct selling company from Sweden based here in Thailand for their uh, regional operations. And that's where I started, I would say, a bigger career um, yeah, so in Bangkok with the regional role on the whole Southeast Asia but also till India and even Iran so I, it was extremely exciting again to go through new uh, part of the world traveling to Tehran wow um, well, I mean it was yeah really fantastic job uh, I was basically traveling to new countries I'd never been to almost every month that was a fantastic experience so that, that was a regional finance role here based in Bangkok still, uh, which I did from 2008 to 2011. And that company sent me uh, as finance director uh, in their biggest Asian subsidiary in Indonesia, where I spent two years. Oh, okay. So you didn't live in Thailand the entire time. Right. I had uh, a bit of traveling in, in between. So we went with the family. At that time, I had uh, two kids. Um, we traveled to Indonesia for two years and then the same company sent me to be responsible for Africa and I relocated to Istanbul for a year. 
Um, and after Istanbul, same role, but we moved to Warsaw for six months. And that's when, so that was back in mid-2013, uh, 14, sorry. Uh, and I was contacted by a company based here in, in Thailand for their original headquarters. And I had back in my mind to of course. again come back to Thailand. I was so much missing it. Um, and, and when I got contacted for a role here, it's just, jumped on it and, <laughs> and came back actually late 2014. Okay, so not even that long ago. But this has been an amazing, if you would allow me to say, it's been an amazing career progression, right? And isn't it interesting to you how kind of just making that one decision, taking that phone call from Jerome, right, didn't just right. change your, you know, that one six-month period where you came here for an internship, but it changed your entire life, right? So if you'd never literally taken that phone call or maybe didn't sit next to Jerome in that finance class or whatever it was or became friends, you know, you'd have a fabulous career maybe just in Europe, but now you have this global career where you've been to, I'm going to, I just wrote most of it down, but you've lived in Indonesia, you've lived in Istanbul, you've lived in Warsaw, you've traveled to New Zealand, Australia, China, Iran, places that you never would have been otherwise. I'm really curious, sure. I'm really curious. And we'll talk about, like I said, we'll talk about prison a little bit, but I'm really curious about sort of the personal aspect of this. When you first came to Asia for your internship, what was the family reaction, meaning your family reaction? Was it like, where are you going and when are you coming home? Or was it just the same sense of sort of familial excitement that you were having personally? Uh, Hong Kong, I think there was no, no much reaction. It was like civilized world. Uh, to them, yeah. If I can tell, you can say it that way. To them, yeah. Um, but Thailand, it was like, are you sure? Right. <laughs> uh, why you don't go to London or maybe Frankfurt or I mean, like the standard, I would say, internship abroad that you would do when you're in a business school. So it was like, yeah, are you sure? Like, no one really knows what's happening there. It was very blur. I mean, yeah, we don't know. We just jump into something completely unknown. So it was, it was not like a negative uh, reaction at all, but it was more like, it's yeah, are you like, sure you, you know want to go that doing, far? Yeah. Right. More, more something like that. But I had a friend there. I could tell him, yeah, he's been spending already six months there. I mean, everything is fine. Don't worry. I know where I'm going. <laughs> but, but so there's – so again, we – there's Jim Rogers, a very famous quote from Jim Rogers, right? And he said this, if you were smart in 1807, you moved to London. If you were smart in 1907, you moved to New York City. And if you were smart in 2007, you moved to Asia. <laughs> right. He said that. That's not me talking. That's Jim Rogers, one of the world's most famous and accomplished investors. And I, and I think what's interesting about that is you've kind of did that, right? So your your family, just like mine, was asking the old questions of, why won't you go to the same places that we've always been going to where smart, and I'm, that's in quotes, right? People go, and you made the other decision. You made the future decision. I really asked the question because I want to know now, after you've built this sort of incredibly progressing career, how the family reacts now when you say, you know, I'm in Warsaw, but I just got a call from another company in Thailand who wants me to go back there and run something much bigger. I presume the reaction 10 years later was much different, yeah? Yeah, it was a lot different, but it was also like, are you sure you want to leave security? That was something different now. It was, I had my family, stable situation, and it's like, are you sure you want to change again now? <laughs> Take some <laughs> news to... So, it, it, yeah, it was a completely different reaction because they knew where I was going, and, and there was no problem at all with that. It was more like, 
okay, now are you really living everything to start something from scratch? Right. Um, but isn't, but this the, isn't this thematic for you? I mean, if I think about like all the words that you've used in the past like 30 minutes, right? It's learning, excitement, and new. Right. That's just who you are. No? It's, it's how my life has been over the past 15 years. Always sure. something new happening every year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, but that's incredible. In other words, if I had to teach my own children the path or how to live, I would say do that. Go to a place you've never been. Experience something you've never experienced. Build something that's never been built. Definitely take the risk. Sure. And that's what you've done. I just think it's great. Anyway, so you come back to Thailand in what? To, back to Thailand in 2014, you said? Yeah, December 2014 oh, okay. for the birth of my third daughter. Wow. Wow. Right. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. And then get me, get me up to the founding of Please. What did you learn? What did you know? What were you watching at the time, kind of at the beginning of 2015 and then into 2016, where you said, I've now worked for all these big companies, right? I started at the tour operator, which was small and entrepreneurial. I used all that experience to build into these much larger much more structured companies, and now what? So actually, with Jerome, we already had a couple of business ideas, uh, even when I was not in Thailand. Right. And in when I was in Warsaw, we were actually already uh, maturing the idea of please. So that was, yeah, uh, three years ago. Um, and when I arrived in Thailand, that's when we really basically started bliss it actually took a year we, we we planned a bit the business uh, model and thought a few things out and we also had to gather a bit of funds uh but that's when it really started i actually came into a new job but we also were starting some kind of entrepreneurial project without really putting everything into it um and it really started late 2015 the idea actually behind bliss was that jerome built his business he was looking for a proactive, proper accounting services that would give him his figures on an ongoing basis so that he could take the right decision for his business. But the reality was that in Thailand, there's just no uh, suitable, responsive accounting services for SMEs. If you have a big company, there's no worries. You have all those big firms, Ernst & Young and whatever, of but of course, you, know, have, you have to pay the price to get those services, right? And when you have a small company, when you are an entrepreneur, you just cannot afford that type of service. So you just go uh, and see the account across the street. Right. And usually that's completely offline. You don't know what's happening with your financials. You get a report once a year when you're lucky. And that's when you discover what tax you have to pay. And of course, when you have a small business, uh, a small amount of tax can make a big difference on the course of uh, your company life, right? So that's where we were really maturing the idea of please okay we need to do something for those entrepreneurs who needs to have complete view on their financials be able to take the right decision uh and have really something that is responsive but at the same time affordable right and in north america europe it was really the start of all those online accounting services i'm not even talking about cloud accounting softwares because there are a lot of those and of course uh, that that was also a boom in that industry, but the fact is that in Thailand, any company, even dormant, has to uh, file their books at the end of the year with the revenue department. It's just a statutory legal requirement. Uh, you have to file your taxes, and that's just a nightmare when you are in a country you don't know well. 
you have a small business, you don't have money to allocate to that kind of stuff, and you need someone to advise you and you need to have full understanding of what you pay for, where you put each and every penny uh, on, right? Yeah. So, th- so that's where we basically start designing the, the business model of please, okay, we need to have an online uh, service. Of course, we still do the hard work. We have us at the background and the competences to, to do the technical part of the job, but we need to streamline the business model so that it's scalable and so that we can really uh, develop something that is available for all SMEs, not just having a few hundred clients uh, and, and then get stuck. No, we need to have something that is really scalable. And uh, and that was, again, we are not reinventing the world. It's a business model that is very successful in uh, the Western part of the world, especially in the U.S. with a few companies, which uh, in a couple of years, three, four years, reach like five, six thousand clients just because they have done it the smart way, standardized, automated all the processes uh, and putting a lot of tech not only onto their internal uh, way of doing the job, but also on providing clients uh, application facilities to do part of the job as well and to have access to their data at all time. So that's where please basically uh, uh, start it. And we, in 2015, started hiring our uh, few account, uh, first accountants. We actually hired a manager uh, because I was working full-time. Of course, Jerome had his, uh, uh, his venture. He could not live. Uh, it was also very successful, so he had to be full-time in there. And going on in uh, month after month, actually, the... the Business was biting. We were not really putting all our energy in there because, again, we were both on on full-time activities. But still, the business was growing. People were referring us. Uh, We had an IT developer uh, developing our platform. So the product was really uh, getting to something. Uh, Our services were recommended, and, and we came to a point in time where we had to take a decision, okay, do we let it go that way and it will for sure crash? Because right. it's just not paying enough attention to it, right? Yeah, and it's impossible. I mean, we tried to put some managers to do the the leading of the strategy, but it was just not working out. Okay. Uh, because, uh, I mean, you need to have one of the founders really with the vision of the business and the long-term view to drive the team. And and, and at the end of the, uh, of, uh, of the day, I mean, the company was requiring funds. So, I mean, it was just, okay, do we let it die or we have to basically one of us jump into it. And I was just deadly believing in the future of that company. You're just dying to do this. I can tell by the tone in your voice. Yes. (laughs) You just really want to do this. So when did you, did you leave, you've left your full-time job? Is that an okay question to ask? Yes. So I jumped onto please uh, now almost a year ago. Okay. Full-time. Uh, and actually that, that was kind of big decision and back to what we were discussing before exactly. the family that's, that, that's behind asked it. yeah so the family behind what did they say <laughs> now because now you have a wife and three kids and it's very Correct. complicated right so here was more like you're crazy, crazy. <laughs> are you insane <laughs> yeah yes, you I have am. a nice job you have a nice life earning and now you are going to nothing putting everything you earned into a business you don't know whether it will survive right. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but yeah, I need to do it because I really, really believe in it. Yeah, I mean, um, the market's just so big. This is because I want you to keep talking about this aspect of it, right? This sense of 
you're completely crazy. Why would you get off of this completely stable job to move into something where you don't know what the outcome is going to be? Because you could have stayed at your previous job for the next who knows how many years, lived a very right. comfortable life. I have this discussion with entrepreneurs all the time, and it goes something like this. You know, I went back and visited my hometown, wherever my hometown is, and all of my friends are still working at X company, pick a company. You know, they live in a nice house, their kids go to good, all this kind of stuff, and they're really comfortable. And I, and I always ask the same question, right? It's like, but do they still have their soul, right? And do they still like want to push the future and want to create something out of completely nothing? Or are they just happy to sit in a franchise? It's really a weird thing. I haven't like been in a full-time job for six years. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I understand right. this concept of building something. It's so much better. Yeah. And, and I mean, there were a lot of aspects. We, we had a project that we were absolutely completely convinced because it I mean, it's proven mm. successful in all the places of the world. Yep. It was with one of my best friends. Uh, we have, I mean, it's exactly in our field of competences. I mean, all the dots were linked into that project. Right. Um, and another aspect that also helped me take the decision is that I was traveling a lot in my previous job. I was very little at home. Uh, and seeing my daughters growing and not really seeing them growing on a day-to-day -day basis was really hard. Yeah. So I knew that jumping into entrepreneurship would be also very busy life, but at least I would be able to see them every morning, uh, pick them up at school. I would have a lot more flexibility in my life. Uh, and that was a very important element as well because I did not want to wake up in 15 years and tell myself, wow, I miss the that. The kids are right. I really didn't want to miss that. I miss that, yeah. And it's just, it, for me, it's like you have a real sense of control over your own destiny. You may succeed, you may fail, and to a certain extent it doesn't matter, but you're completely in control of your own destiny. And like you said, you don't want to wake up 15 years later, you know, have a fancy house somewhere and just wonder like where your kid's entire childhood went because you weren't there to see any of it because you weren't in that town or you were traveling too much or working for somebody else. It's just a weird thing, I think. Absolutely. And I've heard stories like that, and that made me feel like very bad for them. And I, yeah, I felt like, no, I have to be with my family. Of course, this project is very intense and require my full attention. But at the same time, I still have both sides of yeah, a more balanced life, I would say. Yeah, much more balanced. It seems weird, right? Entrepreneurship, you're still working 24 hours a day and sometimes even seven days a week. But because you can probably work from home or... Right. in the car when you're taking your daughters to school or whatever it is but you just your life has this much more deep experience and also a fuller experience right but much more flexibility as well it's a much better way to live as far as i'm concerned right and you do it for i mean not only for yourself but also sure. i mean we have a vision that we do it for other entrepreneurs as well we are willing to create something that is useful but at the end of the day you also build project for your own for your family and uh, yeah it creates a lot of more pride as well. Yeah. So let's talk about the business itself, right? We've talked around it a lot and you gave a little bit of the reasons of why you guys wanted to build it. When you said for Jerome's business, I'm presuming you're talking about Wishbeer and all the necessary right. accounting that goes along with that and the growth that's been in that business. You know, we did talk to Jerome about a month or a month and a half ago. So our listeners have heard that story, but it's an interesting concept that you're always trying to build things that you need the market, right. you're proving the market by, by needing it yourself, right? You're not trying to push a rock up a hill. You're just trying to stop it. You're trying to push it down the hill, actually, so you can see the momentum and the need for it already. It's a good sign, right? It's a good proof of concept. 
But once you do it and commit to it full time, tell me about like how that feels now that you've been doing it for a year, what the growth has been like. Have you raised capital? If not, would you want to raise capital? How are all those really pure entrepreneurship things going? So the business is doing great. I mean, we are growing extremely fast. We did basically in 2017, five times what we did in 2016. We increased our number of clients by yeah five times in 10 months. Basically, when I started full-time, that's uh, – I mean, I don't say that it's my magic being good at doing it, but it's just the fact that we had a lot more people being focused on doing the things uh, and the business has been going really tremendously well. We've been, we had the chance to be part of uh, the accelerator which one? Pro- program of uh, the Siam Commercial Bank, which FCB, is the, yeah. right, uh, which was also a good, uh, so you did do that, you did do so, that. Right. Okay. And that was very challenging because I did not join police full time yet at that time. Wow, that's hard. So I had to do that in the evening after my job. It was a little bit uh, harsh period, but that was fun, really fun. That's the digital that's the digital ventures accelerator, right? Right. That's Paul Ark and his team. Correct. That's a so great we were team. the the first batch, uh, part of the first batch. Good for you. That was a really nice experience. I know that was a good marketing uh, proposal, I would say. Um, we did not raise from that, but uh, we we got a lot of positive feedback and new clients coming from there as well. Uh, in terms of funding, we've been so far funded by angels uh, from our personal network, and we are now trying to raise some uh, seed funds to accelerate a bit the growth. Uh, we basically are growing very fast, but are facing a basic challenge, which is that we are... We have designed all our process. Our product is basically now available for the clients, but we are also developing tools to automate and standardize our processes in-house. Internally, right, which is another way, another bit of tech that needs to get built, right? Right. And that part has been, uh, I mean, some tools have already been developed, but the thing is that they now need to be used by the accountants. And accountants are very traditional Uh, I mean, they are not used to this new way of working by definition because no one is doing it yet here. So that's the hard part is, okay, guys, now you have to work that way. Just crap what you've done over the past 10 years. Just do what I tell you to do. And me, I'm Farang, I'm foreigner, and I tell you how to work. And at the same time, taking a lot of new clients coming on a monthly basis. So that's the hard part because what we need today uh, is to have a little bit overstaffed so that we can basically switch to our completely switch to our new processes and so that people right, so the old so the old processes can still be run by people that were there doing them and they're doing them well but you have to get new people into they're just like a blank slate that can do the new processes as well right so you almost like right. not double hiring but kind of 1.5 in a way i guess right exactly um so Doing that and so that we can still continue our acquisition without being stressed on a daily basis. Oh, we have another five clients this week. How do we handle them? And that's kind of panic we're going through. It's a positive problem for sure. Sure, sure. Um, But at the same time, it requires a lot of adjustments. So that's why we want to raise funds first to adjust a bit our short-term manpower to be overstaffed to be. Uh, so that so that we can adjust those uh, tra- this transition, and at the same time also uh, further develop our IT team. So today we have three full-time developers who are working on the client platform. We are also developing some new applications, some new features that the clients will uh, be having access to in 2018. 
and some additional actually uh, tools for the team itself uh, to really work in a more efficient and standardized way. Got it. So let me ask you this. This goes right back to your internship and your first job. One of the things we talked a lot about at the beginning of this conversation was culture and language and adapting as a foreigner and trying to understand the nuance of people and how they behave and why they behave, right? And how language is embedded in that. But now that you're running your own business, it's so much more personal. It's so much more direct impact. How have you found that managing your own team inside of a culture, again, that's still not yours per se, how has that been going? What have you learned there that maybe you can share with other entrepreneurs um, in Thailand or just in a country that's not their own? Well, first thing for sure, if I was not speaking Thai, I would definitely not be, dead. be able. You'd be dead. Yeah, that would not work, uh, especially in accounting, which is very technical. Very. Uh, yeah, filled and where you need to really understand the detail, you need to really be able to talk to the people. I mean, it would be very hard. Uh, but in my previous job, I was more managing, except the, the first job I had, which was not a managerial position. Right. Um, I was more managing other nationalities, not really Thai people. Got it. So yeah, Got that's it. definitely the first time where I have a full team of uh, Thai people. So and we understand each other. I understand why they react away or another, but definitely there were some sides I did not expect. Uh, I, I would believe that everything would flow uh, easily, that they would understand what I need, and that they would adjust. <laughs> But still, people, I mean, changes is never something natural. No, not for anybody uh, in any culture, right? <laughs> right. So even if you understand each other, you still need to understand, I mean, to convince them on why, why? and what's their interest in doing what you need to do and uh, to really convey the vision that you have and why it works for the company, why it works for them. And especially in a field which is very regulated, right. so it creates fear as well to change Right, is this okay even? Yeah. Correct. So that that's also uh, a problem I'm facing with some of them, not all. Unfortunately, my team leaders have a full understanding of the business model uh, and they understand that it's fully compliant. There's no worries about it. But it's now I'm relying a lot on my team leads to convey that message as well because even if you understand, even if you have all the necessary background to explain to people that it's okay, that we should work that way or uh, that other way, they still believe that you're a foreigner. I mean, they don't believe that's a fact uh, and that you don't understand them. Yeah, that, you, that there's something you don't know. Even if you know you know it, right. uh, for some people it's hard to believe that a foreigner can in Thailand tell about a field that is regulated, that they have learned about, that they are certified in, yep. how to work. Yeah. So that that's one challenge I did not expect. Um, but enough. we are going uh, in the right direction. So that, that's fine. After a year now, a few adjustments were necessary, and um, but, but it works well. So tell me as well, you said you have three um, permanent developers, right? Have you ever been involved prior to this of de developing software from scratch as well? Um, not really. No, not really right? the first time I was into that, yeah. So tell me what that experience has been like, right? Because from a finance and accounting and even a management perspective, you've done all that, but developing software is a completely different animal, I think. I, I've, I've been involved in it, so it's very different. I'm wondering what you've learned there and what you've gained, what kind of knowledge you've gained. 
Well, the hard part is that from a business perspective and from a client perspective, you know what you want and you have a lot of ideas and then you tell your tech guys, oh, guys, that's what we need to develop for our clients. That's what they need to see. That's what they need to use. And on the other side for the team, we have some specific requirements to get the jobs done faster, generating reports or whatever. And translating that into their language, into their reality is something completely different. Right. Because especially in tax, there are a lot of rules that make it super hard for the IT guys to really match all those requirements. So from an IT perspective, I, I'm not an IT savvy person, uh, but it has been a, a big learning curve in that sense that I had to really learn from scratch a field that I had no uh, no knowledge at all about uh, and really understanding the why and pros cons of things we want to develop and reality of a world that is not necessarily matching the needs of my world, right? Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, it's a completely new thing, new new world to learn for me. So how do you see things going? Right, if business is growing if five times, revenues up five times, customers are up five times. It also probably means you're getting probably two times the number of suggestions and recommendations and asks for lack of a better word, from your clients as well. Does that accelerate the necessity for faster software development? And does that mean a bigger team? Like, How does that work as well for you? The good thing of clients coming to us is that they are not used to get what we offer to them. Mm. So, so they are kind of amazed that they can get that now. <laughs> right, exactly, because they don't have their own <laughs> IT team to build it. Like In their ideal world, they would already have all these things. And now right. that they can have it, it's like candy, right? I want more. Um, so for sure, there are some suggestions on some features that are available out there in cloud uh, softwares. Uh, we are midway between cloud software and, and, and services. So we are kind of service as a system and service as a service, so to say. Um, so we offer both sites and, and definitely there are new features that we are aware we need to develop to be really encompassing the, the, the whole offer uh, because there are some application available out there that usually entrepreneur would start using uh, for their billing, for instance, uh, to issue tax certificates or whatever that is. Uh, but then they come to a point where they realize that they still need an accountant to certify their books uh, and file their taxes. So that's where we come into place, but we would like to actually offer the whole umbrella so that they don't have to go somewhere else, basically. So let's talk about, so now I really want to dig even one level deeper and I want to find out. So if I use your services, because you said it's not purely cloud-based, it's not purely SaaS-based, right? What is it? How does the business work? Let's say I'm an SME, I'm a Thai SME and I'm tired of doing all this stuff myself. I'm tired of it manual. I'm tired of waiting six months for a report. All the things, all the problems and issues that you're trying to resolve and solve. What do I get if I come to you? How do I pay for it? What's the business model, right? And then what's my interaction with you like? In other words, what are your accountants doing that then the SME doesn't have to do themselves? So can you just walk me through that? Almost like try to sell it to me so I can understand and then I can understand the full scope of what you do and how I pay for it. Sure. So the, the whole idea is to make it easy and fast for SMEs. So when they got to get in touch with it, the idea is that they can be onboarded easily, uh, with all the information that they need. So they just 
register on our uh, onboarding on our platform, uh, filling in their company information, uploaded their company documents, and it all starts from there. So we get everything online, review, create their account on our cloud accounting software, which is automatically connected to their platform. And straight away, they have their dashboard where they can view all their company information. They have their tax calendar. They can pay their bills there on their platform as well. Uh, and we created a knowledge center into their dashboard where we clarify all the basic about Thailand taxation, about uh, compliance on documents they need to send to us. Uh, we also give them the uh, all statutory forms that they need to use and explaining why and how and when. Uh, so all that is on their dashboard so that they have all at one place there. And, and it's all digitized, right? Yes. So what system are they using on their side? Or do you install software? No, nothing. Uh, just nothing. browser. But what are they, browser. So it's all web browser. But what are they using today? Like if, if they're not using you, you said it connects to their system. What, what are they using already? Or is it just all paper-based and you're just digitizing the whole process? Well, very often clients coming would just have nothing. So they would give us Excel files from their former accountants that we would just load in our system. Um, or they even sometimes just have paper reports. Uh, some of them have um, are using desktop softwares. Very few have cloud accounting because, as I said, even if you have a cloud accounting software, you still need to have an accountant Approving. to do yeah. the bookkeeping. So if they have an accountant, they, they would not come to us. Um, we have a few, though, who started doing their accounting in a cloud accounting software, but they realize that they are not able to right. handle the taxation around it. And at the end of the day, they cannot use it to audit their books. So that's when also they come. But usually when they're already on a cloud accounting software doing it themselves, we just cannot use what they've done. because It's completely wrong. Um, wow. Okay. So, so, how, so how do I, how do I pay you for it? How do you make money? How does the, your business make money? So our business model is recurring revenue model. When you on you get on board in on our platform, you just either uh, pay by credit card uh, or through direct debit. So you just download the form, send it back to us, and we take from the account on a monthly basis. On a monthly it's, basis, yeah. So it's a prepaid service, and of course, clients can uh, cancel it anytime if they're not happy. No obligation whatsoever. Right. So you pay online. You just the only basic, uh, basically. Uh, hard part is that you need to still send us your hard copy documents because that's the low requirement, unfortunately. So we are digitalizing your documents so that you have e-archives on your platform, right. but, but you still need to send us the originals for statutory purpose. That's the only hard part. So we collect the documents, and then once we have booked everything in, in accounting uh, and digitalized documents, everything is on the platform and on the dashboard Clients can see their cash flow statement, their PL, their balance sheet. They can see the aging of their vendor bills, of their uh, account receivables. receivables. And stuff like that, right? Right, so everything is there. What is the normal client reaction, particularly for ones that have been doing stuff just purely paper based? But even those, like you said, that have accounting systems that, again, don't do all the work properly. What does it feel like to them? And what's the reaction you get when they just see all this stuff digitized? They have a, they have a dashboard that updating relatively real time. I mean, are they just blown away? It's like, oh, really? I didn't know it existed. <laughs> right. But, but also, <laughs> I didn't know my business. Because for me, right, I like to see, you know, cash flow and understand, like, what my business looks like, right? 
So they right. can see their business in a completely different light and framework because now they have real data in not real time per se, but in a much different time frame than they ever used to have it. They don't have to wonder anymore, right? Right. I mean, there, there are two types of clients. There are those who are really needing an online access because they're traveling, because they need it on their mobile, because they just don't want to open an Excel file and they want to view what's happening at all time. And then there are those who are uh, in a need of a real communication. Uh, I will come back to that because we have also done a lot of standardization here to right. uh, to optimize the business model, but who really need to have a, a open communication. It doesn't need to be long-time discussions, but they, when they have a question, they know it's answered, they know it's taken care of, uh, and it's not just lost in translation, and, and they'll see what happens at the end of the year. And, and this link which is missing is kind of recreated with the online uh, platform because they can see what's happening, and we can also, of course, answer questions through our customer service, but they see and there is a direct link to us, to their accountant, which was not existing before. And that makes a big change for them. Well, it's a massive change, right? Because like you said, again, way at the beginning of the conversation, you, know, you may get a report once every six months or once a year, but those small changes in cash flow and in potential tax payments really could impact a smaller business, right? Do I have the... 30,000 baht that I need to pay that fee? Do right. I have the 70,000 baht? Like, how am I going to fix that? And then further on, how do I better plan my business for next year or next quarter so that I'm not surprised at the end either? Running a business is a non-trivial exercise and having your accounting in a way that you can see what your business shape is like on a real-time basis or relatively real-time basis is just super powerful. It just changes the paradigm for the way they not just do their accounting, right, but run their whole business. Yeah, absolutely. And one very frequent problem that they have is that they don't know what a uh, compliant document is as per tax law. And how, would of course they, it's, how would they know? Like they're not experts in that. If you're running an ice cream shop or any kind of SME, that's where your expertise is, not on the tax side. Absolutely. So when you send your documents to your accountant, you just expect one thing is that it will be booked and that at the end of the year, you will pay tax based on your revenue manager expenses. That's it. But the fact is that your accountant who is there and giving you one yearly update will tell you that, oh, sorry, documents you sent me in January, we did not book them because there was not this and that on the invoice. Right, but I didn't know until today, which is just the wrong model. Right. right. And what, what you didn't tell me? I mean, how can I know? I mean, right. yeah, as you said, I'm running an ice cream shop. How would I know that I need this information on the bottom right-hand corner of the tax invoice, Right. Right. Um, and, and that's what we warn the clients on the platform. If there's an issue, then they know and they need to fix it. Uh, I mean, we, we give them a, a regular update on what's happening. It doesn't need to have a one-to-one -one discussion. That's the purpose of the platform is that we can convey to the clients, make them view what's happening with their finances. And if there's an issue, it's addressed there so that they can take the corrective action and not wait till the end of the year with those nasty surprise of tax penalties yeah i mean businesses should not be made up of surprises right absolutely right? not and, really when, yeah. yeah i was gonna say and part of your job is to is to disintermediate surprising information for your clients and and again that you said it's not one-to-one -one, which means that that's how you provide scale not just to yourselves but to your clients as well they can get their questions answered without having to wait for one specific person or one specific sort of customer service man or woman to give them their answer. It's built into everything that the system's already providing them. Yeah. Right. So one of the learning curve over the past year is that before every customer queries, we're going through the accountant themselves. And of course we are losing a lot of 
time management there. Um, so we now have a qualified accountant as customer service person who is really centralizing all the communication. We now have a ticketing system where we can really uh, focus on uh, providing the right information at the right time without interrupting basically the accountants in their daily routines, which is where we had a lot of productivity losses before. Right. Okay, one more thing I want to go over before I let you go because I've taken up a ton of your obviously very productive time. What is the funding situation like if you want to talk about it? So you said you've been angel funded and probably bootstrap funded for right. a couple of years now. Are you actually actively looking? In other words, if someone's listening and they're interested, are you actively lo looking for funding today? And what does that look like if you can talk about it at all? Yeah, right now we are looking for a seed funding of $200,000. Um, so back to what I was saying before was, uh, I mean, to strengthen a bit the team of accountants and push the IT development over the past 12, uh, the coming 12 months, sorry. Yeah. So uh, we are looking for those fundings. We have a couple of leads now, uh, but nothing uh, really materialized. Yeah, uh, and but that's the way funding works, right? I mean, that's just the normal yeah, process, yeah. I don't think it says right. anything in particular about your company. It sounds like you're changing the paradigm of the way SMEs in Thailand are starting to do their accounting and then also change their business management, which is great. But being funded will help, I presume, yeah? Yeah, obviously. And I mean, it's also a very predictable business. We are in a recurring revenue model. We know our uh, cash flow stream for the next 12 months based on our customer database. Uh, we know what we plan in terms of acquisition and, of course, what that means in terms of 12 months uh, forecast revenue. So it's a very predictable business model. We are almost at the break even. Obviously, we are finance people, so we are caring say, about. I was gonna say. <laughs> right. Uh, that's our job. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's where we say, are. I was going to say, if you mess that side up, which you don't and you won't, but it would just be funny if nothing else because that's your expertise, right? <laughs> right. Good stuff. Okay. Well, look, this has been a really, for me, a fascinating conversation, a really interesting business model. And I don't actually know anybody else who's built something this robust yet for this market. So it would be interesting to see the way people react to the sort of funding need, $200,000. It's not a ton of money, but it gives you a real runway as well to be able to grow this and scale this out. I look right. forward to, hopefully this is not the last time we talk about this. Again, I'd love to have you back on in six months to find out progress, funding, all that other stuff. It's been really sure, fascinating. Sure, with pleasure. So I want to thank you again, CEO, founder of Pliz, Ben Moimeno. It was great to have you here. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So uh, on our website, pliz.co, and that's where all uh, our information is. And you can get easily creating your demo account on our platform and see how it works. Uh, and get in touch being onboarding straight online. Awesome. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for the conversation. It was awesome.